Welcome to the Lubar Executive Education Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about ways to resolve employee disengagement so you can have a happier and more productive workforce, all while slashing turnover costs. With me today is Stephen Turner. Stephen is the COO of Beyond Resilience, LLC, and president of Flow Business Solutions. Stephen has a proven 35-year career with UPS. He provided leadership in the diverse environments of operations, finance, and accounting, and technology at district, region, and corporate levels, including five years in Europe at the beginning of UPS's global expansion, where he was a finance director with responsibilities for 10 countries. His responsibilities in these countries solidified an important fact. Cultures change, but hearts do not. Employees will follow those who care about them, so train them for success and appreciate who they are as individuals. Welcome, Stephen. It's great to have you on the show. Yeah, it's good to be here. It's also good to be back to uh, UWM. It's always nice to be talking yeah. to an alumni. Yeah. So to dive in here, can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on the difference between being managed versus being led? Oh, absolutely. Near and dear to my heart. So when you consider, and I'm going to go bottom line, then I'll back it up a little. The bottom line is this. We in this country have uh, had a management style that has been around since 1850 when the Industrial Revolution started. And unfortunately, when farmers came off the field and went into the factories and started to become uh, directed by business leaders, nothing wrong with direction, they lost a very valuable component of their life, and that is the control of their life. And as a result, we started in a management style that caused people to look at numbers and forget about the fact that it's people that do the work. So now, Fast forward to today, that has evolved and hasn't changed much, to be honest with you, throughout all the years. And now we are at a point where leaders have an option. And unfortunately, they don't think of this because, to be honest with you, they're not trained in it. And that is, uh, we should lead people instead of manage them. Keep this in mind as well, that people leave managers, they don't leave businesses. So if somebody quits, they're leaving the manager. So if a manager manages people, in other words, treats them as if they're a system, a process, or a procedure, which is easy to do when you're in the tell them what to do phase. People resist that by nature. The other hand is if you lead them. In other words, you are taking them on a journey where the individual develops as an individual as well as an employee. Now you've got employees realizing that the leader truly cares about them. And when that happens, the employees will follow. One of the statistics that is significantly impacted by this, actually, there's two of them, but I'm going to give you the dollar and cents one first. Employee turnover. When people leave managers, they are creating turnover cost. And the average cost of replacing an employee, this is the average now, obviously varies by the industry. It's $35,000 based on a $54,000 average salary in the United States. So, Every time it's a turnover, it's $35,000 out of your pocket to replace the person. Now, there is good turnover. You know, people retire, they get promoted. It's even good if somebody chooses to leave to better themselves. Now, that should never be a, a surprise because if you know the person well enough, you'll know where they're going. And Richard Branson has a tremendous statement. I love it. Richard Branson said, training people. So they're good enough to leave 
but treat them so they don't want to. And it is so true. It is so true. I've experienced the same. People feel like they're being led. They will follow and great things happen. And you just turn over fewer, fewer people. So speaking of turnover, how long has employees being disengaged and and turnover really been an issue? And what have you seen over the last few decades uh, in regards to how organizations tackle this or maybe not tackle this? There's a statistic that's been around since uh, 1990. The Gallup organization produced a number that says that 85% of employees are not fully engaged in their work, which really means only 15% are. Well, that number has not changed more than a point up or down over the entire 33 years since that date. And the fact that that's even a statistic tells us that we have stagnant people as far as their attitude and as far as their willingness to roll up their sleeves and do the extra stuff necessary to really get a business through, you know, intermittent challenges, et cetera. So when you look at it from the, what does this really mean? And how is it played out? It's played out when you consider that as a business gets started, you have an owner and then he has to hire somebody. So now it becomes two people working together. When UPS started at the corner of 2nd Main Street in Seattle in August of 1907, it was four people who's now grown to 500,000. And what I'm going to tell you is applicable to every single business that's out there. So you got the small business brings in an employee, the owner and the employee work together. Business grows, you add more employees, they're still working together. But the time will come, probably at the point of having maybe six or seven employees, when the leader is going to choose somebody to oversee the day-to-day operation so the leader can step back and do the things that he or she needs to do to support those six people that are working and doing the work on a day-to-day basis. Well, we're okay so far. You got a manager and the owner is probably still hiring at this point. But as the business continues to grow and other managers are added, the day is going to come when the owner is no longer doing the hiring. And this is the first sign. An owner hiring an employee, there is a natural bond there between those two because of what the the business belongs to the owner and they succeed because of the employee. They can't do it on their own. So when you've got that kind of relationship, it's all good. Now, when the manager starts to do hiring, Unless the owner has been specific in stating, this is the type of attitude I would like to have when we hire people so they know they're going to be a member of the team and they're valuable. And he gives them some cues or keys to say to the employees based on their business, et cetera, so that the manager takes the same approach. That dialogue hardly ever happens because the owner is growing, scaling the business, and they're chasing all the issues they have to deal with. So it's not intentional, it's an oversight. Think about this. Those original five, six, seven people that were hired by the owner, as time goes on, the owner seems to be too far away. The original environment was very encouraging because everybody worked together. So that link that existed at the beginning is broken. And if there isn't some action taken to restore what could be broken, those employees will start to go down the spiral of being, instead of being thriving employees, just surviving. And then they're going to end up working only for a paycheck, which was never their original desire. Now, this whole thing can also continue as you add more people. 
And the way that leaders train people or don't train people, this treatment or feeling by employees that they're not important continues to add to the survival mentality. But it's the nature of the beast. We have replicated the management style for decades, and nothing ever changes unless you're intentional about it. So one of the messages, I'm glad we're having this chat today, this message needs to go all over. Now, you know, some people are doing it right, but there's a whole lot that aren't because the 85% statistic is still there. And understanding that statistic hasn't really changed much. If any of our listeners are thinking about, there's some work to do in my organization, what should they be focusing on? At least where should they start if they're really serious about tackling this for their organization? The easiest place to start is having group meetings with their people. Easiest place way to start this is to bring people together, group meeting off the job, and just tell them very simply, I'm interested in what you think about what we do here. Now, it's likely in that first meeting, they're not going to say anything because of the history. The employees are going to wonder, is this for real? Or is this just for show? Or is this one of those three-week exercises that falls apart in a month? But that's okay. They don't say anything. He says, he or she says, thank you very much. We'll get back together again in a month. Now, during the next four weeks until that next meeting, now he needs to be a little bit more relaxed, right? Have small talk. Small talk goes a long ways. Okay, a month later, same thing happens. Now the people say, wow, this is two months in a row we've done this. So they'll throw a suggestion out there because they're in the comfort of the group, right? If one person says something amongst the group, nobody can deny the person said it. And the manager can't ignore it either. Now, it may be that it's a ridiculous question that can't be done. That's okay. Those things happen. But find something that somebody suggests that you can actually put into place to demonstrate the value of their suggestion. Yeah, and then they'll start to pay attention. And then, then you can go, I mean, there's lots more to this, but I mean, that's at least getting the door open to uh, a, a different environment. And you can't go from uh, dark to light overnight. You need to walk in the dark, but wear white tennis shoes so that you can start to move along the, along the journey. I like how you're sharing that. You know, this isn't something that happens overnight. And especially that first conversation People might not have that psychological safety to no, they won't, really they say won't. what's on their mind. Yeah, they're not going to. So you got to keep at it, be a little more persistent, yeah. a little consistent, right? Which is something we talk about uh, quite a bit in our programs as well. And in addition to being consistent and giving people the opportunity, and uh, as you said, to not ignoring what is said, you know, trying to do something, maybe not with everything, but do something with at least right. some piece of information so people are getting that feeling that you're serious and that you're willing to make some changes and to try some new things. What are some other keys to success of this approach as you start going down this path? As time goes on, the fact that you've started the meetings, you can't stop them, right? Because you've started a movement into a new direction. So along that journey, just sticking on the communication side of it, we have two ears and one mouth, and we should use them proportionally. So listen. To what people say. Now, let me just throw out one caution. Some people will say, so I'm going to nip this in the bud right here, that going through this process of listening to what people have to say looks like I'm putting the business up for a vote. Wrong. 
I'm not putting the business up for a vote at all. What I'm doing is I'm gathering valuable information. There is a scripture that says that in the abundance of counselors, there's victory. And you know that your employees are very valuable counselors because they do the day-to-day work every day. And if something comes up that is a problem that because I'm sitting in my desk, I'm not going to see it, then asking them their opinion on things allows them to reveal what they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. But there's also the individual piece of it. And I think this is best um, is illustrated this way. Employee retention begins on day one of their being on the payroll. It doesn't start at the end of their initial training. It doesn't start three months down the road. It doesn't start after their first six-month review. It starts on day one. Because on day one, when the employee gets started, they only know two things, to be honest. Number one, they know the name of the company or you if it's a small business. And number two, they know you. That's it. Anybody that I hire that comes in on day one, I am the business, right? So now I'm in a perfect position to help them get off to a great start. People are the most moldable on day one. They will continue to be moldable if we take an approach that puts value at the individual's level. I think you can look at it this way. There are five employee needs, basically. And if we walk through the journey and that most of the things we do will touch one of these five at certain times, then you're good. The first one is to be a member of a team. That's the first thing you deal with on day one. Explain to the employee where they fit in the puzzle and in the business. The next one is to be well-trained. These are logical progressions, by the way. Because what happens when an employee is well-trained? They develop confidence in themselves. Not only do they know that they're making the boss happy, but they have confidence level in themselves knowing I have just succeeded here. So we reinforce the training just to make sure they're trained. Go off on a tangent here just a second. When I jumped into the coaching world coming out of the uh, corporate environment and our entrepreneurial stuff we got going on here, I had a survey done because all I knew was UPS at the time. One of the things I learned was the fact that 68% of people would rather be working for somebody else. That's a sad statistic. Okay, so keeping that in mind, let's come back to uh, employees. All right, so member of the team, well-trained. Well, while in the process, oh, and another thing on that statistic, the biggest complaints of employees is not being well-trained and no feedback. I mean, can you imagine training somebody well without training them and giving them no feedback? These are foundational things in uh, leading an employee. Anyway, okay, the third one then is to feel capable. Now, what that means is that comes out of the being well-trained for the moment and then feeling that, hey, you know, I can do more here. Once an employee realizes that they're in a position and they have the personal ability to do more than they're doing, it's a really good spot to be able to suggest, you know, what would you like to do in the future? So I would be like, if I was hiring you and I said, uh, Mike, where would you like to be in three to five years? And you might get a deer in the headlights look the first time. But what's going to happen by that you simply ask the question means that you have interest in them personally. And whatever they say, then we want to feed into it. Now, granted, 
we're doing the best we can to support the business. But you can do the same thing to help support the person. You can do both of them at the same time. Sometimes it takes a little bit of a different step. But as soon as the employee knows that you believe in them and concern for them as an individual, and I would like to help them succeed, they will help you succeed. Take care of people that take care of you. The fourth one is to be um, appropriately compensated. And uh, the fifth one is to be appreciated. Now, what's interesting about the money one is fourth in the list. We have to always remember money is a short-term motivator. It's okay for the moment, but in two or three weeks or two or three months, the employee is going to adjust their lifestyle and absorb their increase. Then they're back to where they were. So money will never keep an employee happy. I, will, I won't say never, hardly ever. There's more pieces to an employee by caring for me. So that was a long answer to your question. That's what we need to do. We need to develop people at the, per, at the individual level, and they will follow, guaranteed. And I really like that you addressed it all the way from the first day of employment, because yeah, first day. I think a lot of leaders and companies sometimes forget that on that first day, your new employee is probably still questioning, you know, is this the right move that I made? I probably just left a job, making a, a leap here of faith a little bit. So is this the right place for me? And you want to make sure they go home that first day thinking, yeah, this is the right decision. So talking about these levels of engagement, what benefits can leaders and organizations expect if they actively work to improve each of these levels? That's a great question. It's almost one of the, one of the, um, the answers you have to draw out of a business leader. Keeping in mind that business leaders are independent people, they're independent thinkers, they're successful. And let's face it, nobody does things with the intention of doing it wrong. It's usually just missing a point. So the benefits that come out of uh, better employee engagement is it moves the, the team from being survivors, survival-only mentality, only there for the paycheck, basically, and the benefits. And the highlight of their day is punching out. That's a sad event when someone spends eight to nine hours in your presence and they're looking forward to going home. Now, if we spend more time with individuals so that we think of them more than just um, a line item on an income statement, then they will be more actively engaged. They will roll up their sleeves. They'll think for themselves before they run in the office if something doesn't go right. And what happens over time is now you have people that are in a vitality engagement. They're actively working and they're enjoying what they're doing. So from stagnation to active vitality type employee. Now, I already talked about one of the benefits of this and that's turnover costs. And to drive the point home, this happens to every size business. Think of this as an entrepreneur. I know what this is. I've, I've experienced this. That if you have three employees and you lose one of them, you've lost a third of your workforce. Now, what is the first thing that happens if somebody walks out the door? Who's filling the job? Me. Until I get somebody in there. Now, you may think that you're only replacing a $20 an hour person. But what are you doing based on the fact that now you're doing a 20 
and nothing wrong with this, by the way, don't take it wrong. A $20 an hour person who's very available to the business, they do it every day. Now you're not doing the marketing, the spread the word. That's the true cost of replacing the person initially. I'm doing the work and I can't do what I'm supposed to do. Right? Okay. So let's move on from there. Now, employee turnover cost. If you have an organization of a thousand people, you're going to spend one point, excuse me, $3.2 million a year replacing 93 of those thousand people because the average turnover rate in the United States is 9.3%, which is nuts in my personal opinion. So you've got that. Now, consider this also. So let's say we're retaining people. Now our labor force is becoming more skilled, greater commitment, more loyalty. And now that I'm having a great time working for UPS as I, as I did, I have no problem at all recommending somebody else to go there. And when you're in right now, this is a situation today and it's going to be for a while. We're in a very tight labor market here. And there's other reasons for that as well, but it, it is a reality at this point. We're at 3.5% unemployment. 4% is considered full employment. You can't just go outside and grab somebody off the street. It's hard to find people, especially the ones to match your skill set. So you're better off not losing them in the first place. Okay. So if I've got people in my or working in my organization or the UPS experience, and I go out and I say, I love working there. Why don't you try it? Now by referral, I've got people coming in with the right attitude right off the bat. I'm here because my friend thinks this is a great place to work. And when you get that reputation, even in a tight labor market, it'll help fill any gaps that we might have. It all works for the good. It's a win-win, no matter how you look at it, from the employee and from the business, from the CEO, sustainability of the business, supporting growth with fewer people. That's it. And who wouldn't want that win, especially with the scary costs I do. and statistics <laughs> that you're talking about? So before we wrap up this episode, what additional advice or thoughts would you like to share with our audience? Well, I think one of the things that leaders have to, have to always remember, that they have a very important job. And we are leaders by example, and we're leaders by influence. We're not leaders by what appears on the list. We are not good leaders because I have, I have 10 steps to victory. It doesn't matter. It doesn't work that way. What we really have is, and this is the way we, leaders need to look at their development, it is a continual gathering of skills that we put in our golf bag. And as we walk the golf course of life, we can be on the same hole. This is just, just to prove the point. How many different ways is there to play a golf hole? It's infinite. It's never played the same, but it is played with the same clubs. So we want the mentality that says, I am going to continually gather my skills. I'm going to continue to expand my education. I'm going to try to stay up on new information. People that read to enhance their knowledge are always better off because they're in, the, they're in a mode of accepting new things. So as new ideas come along, use them. We can't be so stagnant that we're not willing to make changes as things change. So now, as skills are added to the golf bag, obviously, this is a long-term thing. This is a lifestyle. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And leaders need to understand that as well. It just keeps going. 
Now, here's one of the tests. I, there's two tests I like to uh, work with people. Number one is, this is a test of, of your ability to use the skills. If you had an opportunity, or I or whoever, has an opportunity to lead a business they don't know anything about, what would they do? They'd have to rely on this individual skills of the people around them because we don't know the details. We know how to be leaders. And I'll give you a great example. Lou Gessner. Lou Gessner came into IBM in the 80s. IBM was in trouble. Lou Gessner came from RJ Nabisco. By self-proclamation said he didn't know anything about computers, but he knew how to lead. So if a leader is confident enough to be able to say yes to that question, you're in a good place. It's actually one of the reasons I like being a business coach. I get going to new businesses and help them run. But anyway, that's one. Here's the second one. And this is by observation and only happens as a result of who we are, not by declaration. And that is, how far does your influence extend? Does your influence reach beyond your formal leadership space, a department? Well, your own business for one thing or a, a group of people like the finance and accounting group at UPS or, you know, whatever. If you're a good leader and you get into places where you're with your peers or other leaders above you and people listen to what you say, your influence is now extending. And that's another powerful place to be. Because other people that don't necessarily know you will pick up on what you say. So those are good two good places to be. I love it. Stephen, thank you so much for making time in your schedule to be on the show and talk with us today. If anybody's interested in learning more from you, where can we point them to? Well, you can find me on my website at www.flow-business-solution.com. You can send me an email, steve at flow-business-solution.com. Our phone number is 267-753-5568. You can find me at LinkedIn forward slash SW Turner. There's a number of Steve Turners in LinkedIn. And we have a YouTube channel as well that you can find if you just search my name. The Beyond Resilience reference that you made at the beginning, that is a new business that we are creating. I have joined up with uh, another partner that spent a lot of time in corporate America. And we are getting together for the sole purpose of attacking the 85% number. Wonderful. I'll add information about all those resources into the show notes. In closing, I'd like to take a moment and thank our listeners. We wish you the best of luck as you move forward on your leadership journey. Please check back regularly for additional episodes.